Okay, mine worked, so everybody should be able to do this. No problems today. Um, and with that, we'll move on to our uh, medical grand rounds for this morning. I'm delighted to welcome Diana Rojas, who uh, is one of our faculty in neurology. Uh, she came to us from uh, Bogota, Colombia, where she graduated from the El Basque University School of Medicine. She went on to complete research fellowships at, New York, at the New York University School of Medicine uh, in the Center for Neuromagnetism and also at the Silberstein Institute for Aging and Dementia. She completed her residency in neurology and a fellowship in vascular neurology at SUNY Downstate in Brooklyn. And she joined our faculty in neurology as a key member of the stroke and vascular team in the spring of 2015. We're very pleased to welcome her to Medical Grand Rounds today. Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone, and thank you very much for having me. Um, I'm going to apologize from the beginning because I'm not a natural public speaker, and I always get very anxious with this kind of presentation, so I hope my nerves doesn't get on me and uh, make me forget my talk. Um, also, my accent comes a little bit more thick when I get anxious, so please feel free to ask me any questions during the presentation. So, well, <clears throat> trying to put together this presentation, it came clear to me how extensive and complex uh, our current um, standards of care uh, are actually. So it was hard to summarize and put everything together in a 45 or, um, minute talk. So I shift gears a little bit and um, I focus, or I would like to focus this talk on how the development of our more, um, the most important um, um, interventions for stroke care uh, lead us to understand that is uh, time to treatment, the um, most important factor for the success and treatment of stroke. Um, I have no disclosures. And let's start by um, few statistics about stroke, information that you probably know and have in your head. So um, nearly about a million people um, in America will have a stroke every year. That means that every 40 seconds somebody's having a stroke and every four minutes somebody's dying from a stroke, which is not good statistics. But Interventions in the past 20 years that lead to the decrease in incidence and um, and stroke, and this is especially true for people older than 60. Um, but it's not true for younger patients or for minorities. So this is still is a good indicator that there is disparities in stroke care um, around the the country. Um, also, it's interesting to know that. There are more women suffering from stroke than men, and this is just due to the fact, the simple fact that we do live longer than guys. <laughs> so another sad statistic is, a statistic is that 15% uh, of stroke patients have had the TIA uh, preceding the stroke, and um, close to 200,000 patients a year had recurrent strokes, which is, um, it's sad in the sense that we are not, but we're doing poorly in stroke secondary prevention and identifying the risk factors in patients who have strokes and um, fail to um, um, 
establish proper care for these patients to avoid them to lead into the disability the stroke will, um, will give them. Um, we also have, um, well, a good statistics is that we are declining in mortality. Uh, we are now in the fifth position. But um, is this really good? Because we remain as the leading cause of disability. And does this mean that by improving acute stroke care, we're just straightening off mortality with disability and we have more people been disabled and unable to contribute effectively to society? In 2010, um, an estimated of $73 billion in the stroke care was established. This is a lot of money. Um, and this is not just for acute care, it's also for, um, and the, uh, based on the, um, the income that people will lose from being disabled from stroke. So from that million people, nearly a million people, um, um, Americans will have a stroke in a year, 87% of them will have an ischemic stroke, 10% will have a hemorrhagic stroke, and 3% will have a subarachnoid hemorrhage. So from those stroke sufferers, what do they have in common? They do have in common that they want to make it alive, and they want to make it as independent as possible. It's very clear right now for us that there are many factors um, playing a role in the, uh, in the final outcome of stroke. And they're the ones that we can do anything about, like the non-modified factors like age, comorbidities, um, the stroke severity, stroke location. Those are factors that we had to just accept and work with them. But there are also modified factors. And in these cases, um, are those conditions that we can improve to gain better outcomes on, on our stroke patients. And most of, more of our, most of our interventions are based on these modifiable factors. So, <clears throat> sorry. So now we have a very clear stroke chain, survival, chain of survival. And this is mostly a pre-hospital care in the very acute setting. Um, it starts with early detection. Um, and this is at the community level. Many interventions have developed to raise the awareness of the stroke in the community. The FAST campaign from the American Heart Association with face, arms, slurred speech, and time um, has been drilled into patients' head to identify promptly um, stroke symptoms in their family and relatives and somebody who's, whoever is nearby them and activate uh, uh, promptly the emergency services. That's the second step. Have these patients, um, have the, the activation of emergency services um, done more promptly. And studies have shown as well that patients who make it to the hospital in an ambulance, yeah, ambulance, but, um, EMS, do better than the ones that are being brought in by the family members or just walking into the, into the ER. Also, it is important where these patients are taken. Is it, um, is it, the important part is just to make it to the nearest hospital possible 
or make it to the nearest hospital who has the best, um, the appropriate level of care for that patient who's suffering a stroke. And this is important, it's a little different for um, uh, big cities and urban um, settings where it's easier to uh, bypass hospitals. It's only 15, 20 minutes to go from um, patient's home to the appropriate level of care. Um, but it's different from our rural settings, right, where uh, probably the most appropriate um, level of care for that patient is over an hour away uh, by ground uh, transportation. Not all our patients have oh, followed this specific change of events. Many of our patients may get to the door, and now is when our role starts, when it's more important for us to identify promptly and, um, and start acting upon the symptoms as patients are, are, are presenting. So the immediate, the immediate ear triage and these patients and um, activation of, of the proper change of um, events makes a difference in these patients. So data acquisition, evaluation, proper evaluation by the ER physicians, ER team stabilization, um, hemodynamic stabilization, airway if it's needed. And prompt stroke teams activation if the institution has that capability. Acquisition of blood uh, work and the brain images in, the proper, in a promptly manner. Then, with that information, the decision needs to be made whether this patient needs thrombolytics or antihypertensive and anticoagulant uh, reversal agents. And there's a discussion that needs to be taken place at that time with the family and the patient himself um, about that decision. Promptly administration of these therapies is important. And then where this patient goes after um, the appropriate treatment was established. So all this stroke change of survival has a time goal. And right now is 180 minutes from the time of onset to the treatment time. And the goal, door to needle, is about 60 minutes. And that has been um, our most driven um, intervention for stroke. Now we know the brain is time, and that's where our interventions needs uh, have been focused recently. So let me give you a little example of where the change of survival can be disrupted. Uh, these are two patients that we have in clinic. Um, they have the same disease with different outcomes. And um, the gentleman on, the, on your left-hand side, 49-year-old, no past medical history, um, healthy, felt a pop in his neck while he was on a treadmill. Ten minutes after, he um, developed left side of weakness, and that was fluctuating. He decided to slip it off. Next morning, he woke up with um, severe, um, but uh, complete weakness on the left side of his body and severe inattention and neglect. Um, he made it to the nearest academic hospital and uh, roughly 12 hours after the onset of symptoms. So of course, he was not eligible for acute intervention. 
he did not meet criteria for trophobysis, neither for intervention, but he was admitted to a stroke unit. He had uh, proper manage management of blood pressure, osmotic therapy, sugar, uh, temperature. Um, he was assessed promptly by uh, physical therapy, and um, he had some complications during his stay, mostly related to the stroke, which was a hemorrhagic conversion. But he did not develop any other complications than um, no pneumonias, no DVDs, and his length of stay was about 10 days. He was discharged to um, um, a stroke rehabilitation facility, and about a month after, a month and a half after his onset, his stroke, he walked in into the, into the clinic. He's right now, um, he's a night stroke scale, um, is eight, mostly for motor deficits on the left side. But his modified ranking scale is a two. So he's um, about five months into um, his stroke, and he's planning to go back to work by the end of this month. So, on the other hand, we have a 55-year-old lady, again, healthy. He was enjoying a family trip, a long road trip, 18 hours sitting on the passenger seat with a seat belt rubbing on her neck. Um, they decided to stop for snacks at a, at a gas station. Her husband got out of the car. When he came back, she was having... Um, attention deficits. She was um, having forced gaze deviation to the, to the left side and she was moving intermittently her right side, um, her left side, uh, arm and leg. Her husband um, identified the symptoms as a stroke, activated the EMS services, but they were in an unfamiliar area, so um, she was taken to the nearest hospital, which was a, a small community hospital. And because it was the inattention, um, the most significant symptom for her, um, and the weakness in her arm was intermittent, she was not deemed candidate for, for, um, for intervention, for, for acute treatment for the stroke. It was, it was actually a question whether this was psychogenic or not. This hospital was actually um, a stroke-ready hospital, so they did have access to telestroke. Um, but because of the mild symptoms she did have, she did not receive the acute therapy. She was admitted to the um, observation unit. Next morning she was uptonded and um, completely plegic on the, on the left side. Um, an MRI was obtained and this is what we could see here. So you see there is not much difference between one and the other. It's the same volume. Um, about infarctic uh, brain tissue. She was finally transferred to primary stroke uh, center. Um, luckily, she did not need a um, craniectomy, and she survived. But she did have several complications from her stroke. She was fed the first 24 hours, um, and she developed aspiration pneumonia. Um, she also developed hemorrhagic conversion, and she had because she could not be on um, chemical prophylaxis, she developed um, DVTs. Her length of stay in the hospital was about 21 days, um, so twice as much as the other gentleman. And she was discharged to a um, small rehabilitation um, that was center that was not stroke dedicated. 
She's nearly a year after her stroke. Um, her modifying ranking uh, scale is, is four still. She's dependent on IDLs. She can walk. Um, and her NIH stroke scale is 13. So um, there were not acute vessel images on this lady, so it was suspected as well that she did have a, a dissection. I don't know if I mentioned with the other gentleman that he did have a dissection as well on the right um, internal carotid artery, and she did have it as well. And it was the acute care and the subacute care what really make a difference between the outcome in this, those two patients, right? So if I ever had a stroke, and we're talking about this can happen to anyone, this was dissection, this was not atherosclerotic disease. Um, I would like to be the gentleman on the left side. I would like to give the opportunity to every single chance to recover and um, get the best treatment possible to achieve that goal. So the treatment of the stroke is always changing. Um, right now, we have, um, thankfully, many options. We have medical management, we have interventions in TPA, acute thrombolysis, and, um, and uh, recent studies are supporting now endovascular treatment for a very specific subset of uh, stroke patients. So let's start with thrombolysis, which is um, um, our most successful intervention on stroke. So everything started in, the, um, in 1995 with the um, publication of the NINDS trial that shows very good outcomes in uh, patients who receive thrombolysis um, in, um, in the very acute setting of stroke. So after that, we have a very shy progression and, and development of stroke uh, intervention therapies. Many other um, agents were um, tried and failed. Um, and many other trials were um, developed, or actually were, yeah, were developed to, to, to confirm the safety of using DPA and stroke patients. And with all this randomized trials using placebo and control um, 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 designs, it was clear that the time to treatment in ischemic stroke was the most important um, factor to improve outcome. So um, it was clear that patients who received TPA less than 90 minutes uh, from the onset, I'm sorry, There now? Okay. Less than 90 minutes from the onset of symptoms had better outcomes. And here, um, the estimated odd, odd ratio of fibril outcome, outcome sorry, um, at three months after patients were treated with, our, uh, with TPA was clear. You can see the difference in 90 minutes. You can have your odds ratio of good outcome was close to was about two, and it went down to one as the time goes by. So, they made it understand, it was clear again, that the time we lost in treating patients, it was brain, that brain tissue that we were losing. 
So um, a good estimation of how many neurons will you lose in a, in, in a given stroke was made by um, Saver and, and his group. And we actually have about a, he estimated that every single stroke that you have, you will lose 1.0 billion of neurons and 8.3 trillion of um, synapses. So understanding that time was a critical aspect, time to treat was a critical aspect uh, for improvement of care in the stroke. We, um, the American Heart Association started a campaign that it was basically named that way. Time loss is brain loss. And in 2010, they um, launched a um, national quality improvement campaign that aimed to reduce the door-to-needle time to 60 minutes across the, the country. Um, the, pay, the participating centers needed to uh, eliminate any delay in treating patients who were eligible for TPA. They, um, this observation was based on 25, uh, uh, this campaign was based on the observation that um, every 15 minutes in reduction of the door to needle was associated with a 5% lower odds ratio of hospital mortality, which is a very good observation. It was made in 25,000, this observation was made over 25,000 uh, patients. What was their target? The target was to decrease the door to um, needle from 29% or probably 30% that the goal, the standard was in 2009 to over 50% in the following years. So they um, challenged hospitals to develop specific strategies to decrease or to improve processes um, in the delivery of their care. Um, they identified specific strategies that every single center needed to work on um, to, to improve and to actually achieve this goal. So the first one was EMS pre-notification, making sure that when a, a stroke patient was identified in the community, the hospital will know the patient was on his way to receive care. And um, then a subsequent steps of um, of care need to be taking place in order to have appropriate, um, to get this goal of less than 60 minutes of uh, thrombolysis. So rapid triage of, um, and stroke team notifications in the ER. Um, many hospitals transfer directly their patients from the uh, um, trauma bay or from the ambulance bay to the CAT scans and to get um, images, brain images more rapidly. Um, single call activation system. Just by one call, every single person who, would, who needed to be notified that a stroke patient was on his way or somebody's leaving this. Okay. Um, the single call activation system. So every, with a single call, with a page system, every single person who needed to be involved in the care of this um, stroke patients were notified. This would not only um, include uh, physicians or um, nurses, it will include CT technicians and the lab 
So they will know that the, they needed to be ready to take care of these patients um, in a appropriate manner. Um, another intervention it was to have the, the TPA mix ahead of time. If the initial assessment um, suggested that the patient will be a TPA candidate, even without confirmation of uh, eligibility by uh, brain images, they will mix the, the TPA and have it ready. Roughly, setting up the pump to get the TPA run, it takes about seven minutes, eight minutes, so they wanted to sh short that time and have it ready um, by the time the uh, specific determination of, of eligibility was made. Um, the hospitals who participated in this, in this challenge were given stroke tools. Um, they needed to develop order sets to make this processes faster so they would not spend time trying to figure out how to put an order for a CAT scan, how to uh, put different orders for different labs, um, how not to waste time on those menial things um, that can be, that can extend your care, um, your delivery of care. Um, establishment of specific guidelines and algorithms and treatment. Everybody needed to know what to do at what specific time. And um, they needed to train personnel. They needed to have every single um, 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 care provider who was involved in the care of these patients to be trained in NIH stroke skills. So how did they do? From the time they, they, um, they established, they, sorry, from the time they um, implemented the, the, uh, the intervention, it was a clear trend from the 30%, roughly 30% um, door-to-needle patients um, the percentage of patients who, who, had, who received TPA in the less than 60 minutes to more than 50% in, um, in, um, in, the, in the patients who, who were eligible that received the therapy earlier. So they did achieve their goal and actually went beyond their goal. But they did not only see um, this improvement in patients treated and the number of patients treated, they also saw that there was a significant improvement in the care of these patients and the outcome. So it was lower um, in hospital mortality. There were lower rates of, um, sorry, higher rates of patients uh, that were discharged home. Um, many of these patients were ambulatory. That means more independence after a stroke, um, there were fewer symptomatic intracranial uh, hemorrhage in the first 36 hours, and also the complications from TPA, other complications from TPA, the incidence was lower. And um, it was really statistically significant for all of those interventions. So this was a very successful intervention. And um, now, the bar is set even higher. And there is a second phase of this stroke target, um, target stroke program um, that was um, proposed in 2014 and started to be implemented earlier this year. So again, 
the goal of this intervention is just to decrease um, or eliminate the delays on treating patients who are eligible for TPA. Again, uh, the goal is still 60 minutes from the time of onset, but the, the, um, the intervention now pretends to include or to give treatment to over 75% of patients who are eligible for TPA. So it's a very high um, standard that we hope to achieve. So the, the, the story for endovascular treatment is not different than from uh, TPA. Um, they had very shy beginnings in the 70s. There were small trials at the beginning that um, imply or suggest that intervention in acute patients, stroke patients, um, will improve the outcome. Use of intraarterial thrombolysis for patients who were not eligible for intravenous or as a um, complement of intravenous uh, therapy and also thrombectomy showed that it was some benefit. But in 2013, the um, IMS trial uh, showed that it was not really benefit in, in this therapy. So the outcomes did not, did not really support this kind of therapies. Um, uh, what happened with this um, specific trial is that the, they did not confirm that the patient had occlusion and, and there was not a large vessel occlusion that they could treat effectively with intraarterial or um, endoc um, endovascular treatments. So the selection of their patients were poor. They also have uh, longer times to treat patients. There were not a standardization of treatment trials, and they, were not, they did not standardize what kind of treatments they were given. So it was hard to, to um, understand how these patients will behave. <laughs> they were using five different types of um, technologies. Uh, patients did not receive TPA, even if they were eligible for it. And um, the conclusion was really that um, more trials ne were needed to um, um, to understand the real use, usefulness of these therapies. But there were so many, there were important, um, um, what the IMS did help us to understand is that better revascularization, better um, um, achievement of uh, blood supply was important for these patients and, and um, improve the 90-day uh, modifying ranking scale. So in the very small patients who did not achieve full revascularization with, um, uh, this is the scoring system that uh, intervention is used to, um, to determine whether the therapy was effective or not. So the TK0 means that there's no really revascularization or it's very minimal. And TIG3 is just the best possible um, full recanalization of blood supply and reestablishment of, um, of uh, perfusion. So it was a significant difference between the ones that have very poor um, um, reestablishment of blood supply compared to the ones that have very good ones. And it was very significant, uh, statistically significant. So this was an important um, 
learning point from this trial. They also understood um, that um, there was specific uh, devices that were better than others. And um, that it might be intervention, intervention might be benefit for patients who present with worse strokes rather than small or, or more benign stroke syndromes. So the second phase of um, trials uh, for intervention for endovascular treatment use um, specific type of technology, which is the new stent retrievers. And um, so what did they do different? So this IMS trial, well, sorry? So the difference between the, the initial trials that did not show any benefit and in intervention from the latest ones, um, are, there are several differences. And what did they do different? So they did select their patients. Okay, they needed to confirm that the patient who was eligible for endovascular uh, endo treatment have a have occlusion in the artery. So there was a vessel <coughs> to be treated. All of them. They also standardized the treatments that they were providing. While in the um, IMS3 and Mr. Rescue, they used different devices. And the four other trials that um, demonstrated or the, 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 uh, supported the effectiveness of endovascular treatment and stroke, they used the similar devices um, almost every single time. Also, they used the same procedures and they use um, 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 the time to, um, from onset of symptoms and treatment was even, um, was also very well controlled, which was not the case in the other two. So you can see the difference in the modifying ranking at 90 days in these patients. So definitely um, the there was an improvement in, um, in this patient. So, so for example, the Mr. Clean, 58% of their patients achieve good recognition um, after the intervention. And their modified ranking scales in the like good outcomes and modified ranking scale from zero to two was 33% compared to 90% percent of the patients were in the control arm. And that was the same story for every single study. So in 2015, all these uh, studies came out and, um, at the end of 2014 and 2015, and it was a significant uh, change in practice um, after these trials came out. But it was also important that the, to notice <coughs> that the time to, from onset of symptoms to the reperfusion uh, will impact highly on the outcome for these patients. So um, they also have um, every, every 30 minutes in the light of treatment and revascularization will increase um, the relative risk of um, by 0.88%. Here again is a clear um, a probability outcome as the time goes by from the onset of symptoms to the time of revascularization. And it was a clear trend, downtrend 
and the uh, good outcomes for these patients. So, what we needed to do, how can we decrease time to, you know, how um, institutions achieve these um, specific goals. So, this is a parallel development in, in stroke care. Um, a very organized system of care needed to have, um, institutions needed to have in place to develop, to develop the appropriate stroke care. So the current guidelines um, make a clear, clear, clear uh, recommendation of how organized we need to be in order to provide um, acute care. And it starts with actually public stroke education. It is an important part of, the, of our current guidelines. Um, uh, also the pre-hospital stroke management and the designation of stroke centers and stroke care um, quality improvement processes in our institutions. So um, the systems of care in the institutions needed to be multidisciplinary. Um, it needed to have from the EMS to the rehabilitation and occupational therapies. Everybody needed to be involved in the same uh, and in the same place to achieve um, good outcomes. So what, what models of stroke care are established or what do we have, what different, what levels of care do we have out there in different institutions? So we have different settings and we have the stroke, um, acute stroke ready hospitals. These are small hospitals who have very basic capabilities they only can um, identify the stroke patient. They should have the ability to um, provide or give treatment thrombolysis. And they have tele-stroke um, capabilities. They um, can access to higher level of cares, but um, remote access via teleconsultations. Then the second um, level is what is the primary care um, a primary uh, stroke center. So these patients have the capability to provide standard stroke care. They um, should have um, stroke units, dedicated stroke units, and um, they can provide acute and post-acute care, um, post-TPA care for this patient. And the comprehensive level, um, or the comprehensive centers are more specialized um, facilities. They um, have the capability to <clears throat> treat every single type of strokes, hemorrhagic, subarachnoids, and ischemic. And they have to have research and uh, um, as part of the uh, uh, continuous um, improvement, process improvement. So, So what needed to, to take place for this or, um, for these institutions to provide a specific care? So the organic, it needed to have a, a 
specific organization change within the institutions. Um, there was a specific coordination of care across departments and disciplines. Um, so you can treat this very acute patients. Um, there's a collaboration between many clinicians and many other care providers. Um, neurologists, emergency medicine physicians, radiologists, technicians, EMS, everybody needed to be on the same page, needed to be trained to provide care for these patients. It was understood that a, a well-organized team approach was essential to uh, implement appropriate acute stroke care. So, but it was not just time, important factor. We needed to provide care safely and effective. And um, in order to do this, a specific steps needed to take place, early identification of candidates for thrombolysis, activation of stroke teams, um, um, accurate and rapidly, um, um, the ability of the physicians and the care providers not to waste time on little things like putting orders and having readily um, accessible treatment in different parts of the, um, of the institution. And the current guidelines, there's a very clear um, recommendations on how we treat these patients. It's not just at the beginning of the emergency services, but how do we um, determine or oh, what are the best treatments for our patients after they are in, uh, in our hospitals and in inpatient units. And it allows us to um, specify specific stroke protocols and pathways um, that can achieve these patients and that can achieve better outcomes for these patients. So also, um, And the guidelines, it is important to, uh, um, actually they, they make emphasis on where these patients needed to go after the acute treatment. And um, there was a clear understanding that dedicated um, stroke nursing care was, um, was needed. Patient uh, nursing um, uh, follow-ups, neurological um, assessments, blood pressure management, temperature management, all that was important to improve the outcomes. So what was important and um, why is important to have all these interventions in place, to have clear what the pathways, what the um, guidelines are for our institution is, it is important because it's the opportunity to give right care every single time. It will reduce morbidity and more for every single patient, and especially the readmission um, rates will go low. So the institution of these different models of stroke care um, had some benefit. By the establishment of primary stroke centers, the um, rate of uh, utilization of TPA went from 1.5% about 15 years ago to attend 2%. So we're still far away from good um, um, uh, util utilization um, rates. The establishment of comprehensive stroke centers um, 
improve the overall care in patients who have different kinds of stroke, not just the ones who were eligible for acute thrombolysis, but the ones with intracranial bleeds and subarachnoid hemorrhages. Um, it was clear as well that um, in hospital deaths were much lower when a, um, a dedicated um, multidisciplinary uh, neuroscience team was in, pla was, uh, in place. And um, a 24% reduction in hospital days and uh, hospital deaths, sorry, um, when these patients were taken to specific dedicated units that could provide um, care. So there are many other strategies um, that um, have been developed to decrease the time of onset to treatment. And I'm just going to mention these two very interesting models that um, were created and established by um, other um, academic centers in the nation. So this is the Houston um, Mobile Stroke Unit. It is a big truck who has a portable CT machine, and um, they drive around Houston looking for patients who have had strokes. And they have a very interesting model. They, I believe they are on call. They work every other day, every other day, no, every other week. So one week, a regular standard um, um, EMS care is provided. The week that they are on service, they get notification from, um, from the EMS uh, after they have been uh, positively identified stroke sufferer. And they meet halfway through with these EMS um, uh, providers, and they transfer the patient in a parking lot in McDonald's or somewhere. And in the parking lot, they get a head CT, they have uh, on board stroke fellow and neuro vascular neurologist at this point, and they also have a tele-stroke um, uh, neurologist. Because what they want to do is compare, see how effective is, or how different the treatment is if you have an onboard neurologist, which might be very, very expensive, um, even though the neurologist is the same driver of the truck. So they, they save money by not paying a driver. Um, in any case, they still in the process to understand if this intervention is effective or not. Um, they um, want to determine the logistics and the clinical outcomes between having these mobile stroke units um, driving around the um, the cities or versus the standard um, um, EMS notification. They're looking at speed of treatment. They're looking at number of patients that are um, um, effectively treated by this intervention. And they look at how they do in the first hours. Um, they also have this concomitant in truck neurologist and the telemedicine, so they can compare um, if at some point telemedicine will be enough and you just needed a, a driver and a, and a technician in the, in the truck. And if it's really cost effective, which is 
something important. I think this is very expensive. I don't think this is a, a good intervention for our area. I, I bet it's very difficult to get um, this truck to the uh, North Kingdom and maybe decrease the, the times of uh, treatment anyway. And this is the second very interesting uh, approach. This is in um, Washington University by uh, Dr. Penagos, who used the model that Toyota's um, uh, manufacturing process used to improve their, their productivity. So um, they use four-step processes. They analyze the current state of their uh, performance. They idealize and stated the, the way how to analyze the, and how they will uh, improve their process. They establish an actual plan and they did have a feedback loop. So they did have, they've been working on this for years now. They started in 1998. And they have different um, um, interventions at a time to improve their, their care. So the first one intervention was to give more power to the residents and to the stroke team to make decisions and to provide um, thrombolysis. Um, the second part was actually streaming line uh, the access of um, uh, to TPA, and the third part is now they move into treating patients in the CAT scanners. So, um, in the first part, they just train their residents um, and train their physicians in the ER to provide care, which what we most institutions are doing so far. They did that between 1998 and 2007. Most institutions are still in this, in this part. The second part, they streamline the, their process and they just trying to cut down times um, from the patient arrival into the TPA delivery. So instead of having the patient come into the trauma bay and as, uh, get the first assessment, they transfer the patients immediately to the head, to the head CT's um, suites and um, then they bring them back into the trauma base and do the first assessment. Um, of course, patients were stable hemodynamically, they were not coding, so they, can, they could be brought into the um, CT scanners um, without problem. And after this intervention, the, the door-to-needle time drops significantly. So from 60% to 39% to um, 39 minutes. Sorry, this is not percentage. This is minutes, which was a very clear um, uh, statistical difference. And um, in the last part of their, their uh, intervention, that that's where they are right now. They started to have this uh, part in 2014. So the patient arrives to the ER, goes straight into the CT scanner. They do have monitorings in the uh, CT scanner. They have pumps. They had everything that is needed to assess the patient and to treat the patient in the scanner. And they train their um, crews to work together and in parallel in the, in the CT scanner. This is not just the EMS, the nurses and physicians, and the CT technicians. So they were able to drop even more 
those time to uh, door to needle times by eight minutes. And they always they also did it very safely. They have not seen an increase in complications in TPA or length of state, and of course, um, um, their outcomes are much better. So where are we as an institution? So we are somewhere between the primary and the comprehensive center um, requirements. We all know our geographical distribution. Um, we are the only um, target stroke center in the, in the area, um, with the nearest one in uh, Vermont and uh, Massachusetts. And so we were acting, we've been for over 10 years um, get with the guidelines um, um, stroke center, um, complying with the stroke center, uh, get with the guidelines um, uh, requirements. But um, right now at this moment we are um, pursuing the certification of the primary stroke center. Um, in the past we did not see the need because we were acting on a higher level um, already. So but we had just one little thing to get into the primary certification. It's education of other providers that do not belong to the uh, core stroke um, um, the core stroke um, centers. For primary, for comprehensive stroke center, we have many other deficiencies that we need to work, um, and um, and the ones in red are we um, we still need to work more into it, um, and the ones in yellow we do partially, so we have. Uh, neurointensive. We have intensive care units. We don't have dedicated neurointensive uh, care. Um, we do not have um, staff for intervention 24-7. We have only one intervention at this time, and it's probably inhumane to expect that he will cover 24-7 um, our needs. So there's still a lot to do in, um, in our process of achieving our goal, which has uh, been a uh, comprehensive stroke center. Um, it is a big deal for hospitals. It takes a lot of work, but it's even a bigger, big, a bigger deal for patients because it improves significantly their chances to survive a stroke and to survive that with um, good expectancies. So what are the take-home messages? So stroke care is a continuous moving target. Um, research, more research, uh, shows different aspects of the stroke care. And um, we cannot sit once we have uh, achieved certain um, goals. We need to constantly improve in our process. And we need a highly structured multidisciplinary teams to achieve these um, specific goals. So thank you very much. Any questions? Many questions, but I think given the lateness of the hour, we should ask if you're willing to stay questions if people want to come down. Um, thank you very much for the excellent talk for talking about the state of stroke care. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you.